I want to say it's good to have uh, Evans Memorial Camp with us today. Appreciate you guys being here. Rick Wagner. Amen. Rick, where are you at? Yeah, where's Rick? Uh, would you just come up and say hi? Say Merry Christmas. Just give us a cameo of uh, what you're doing out at Evans Memorial. What's going on? Good morning. My name's Rick Wagner. Uh, I'm just a follower of Christ. But uh, long story short, just to give you a brief version, is uh, I had a 15-year drug addiction. Grew up in a family that was full of addiction, alcohol, and drugs, and, and uh, I, didn't th I thought that was normal. If you weren't smoking marijuana, that was abnormal to me. So uh, I didn't know any other way, but uh, I'm not a product of my circumstances. I had a choice, and I chose to rebel and not to follow God. Truth is, I needed a father figure. I needed some role models to teach me who God was and how to live a better life. I found a place in the middle of Lake Okeechobee about 13 years ago called Dunklin that's been there for 58 years. And it's a program that's geared to teach you how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and overcome drugs and alcohol as a result of that. I fell madly in love with God. And the first time I cried, I lifted my head up with a puddle of snot and tears and said, wow, I was ch there chasing counterfeits. This is the real deal. And when you get the cure for cancer, you can't hide it. You know that? You got to share it with the world. So I stayed on and got discipled and became a staff member and started ministering full-time in Martin County Jail and uh, got the vision to start a camp just like that. Well, about five years ago, we started a camp out here in uh, Lakeland, Georgia. If, you, if you're with Evans Memorial Camp, just stand up today, please. <laughs> Brother Mickey Evans was uh, my spiritual mentor, and, 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 and I admired him, and he would talk about the Lord, and he would cry when he would talk about the Lord, and I said, Lord, I want what he has, and and when you look at that place, you see the fruit of that, and it, it's just the fruit of one man following God. It's Jesus Christ that does it. But all that fruit is nothing I've done. It's just me following God. Because when you have the cure, you got to share it. The cure is him, the creator. And if the guy created your life, who better to know how to manage your life than him? And when you let him be the Lord of your life, things change. All those people you've seen standing up there, most of those kids didn't have their father. Today they live with their father, not just sober, but loving God and leading that house with God as the head. That is the fruit of a miracle. That 2020 things are still happening that are good today. It's good to be a Christian. God's still working miracles. Right there it is. I just want to tell you I love y'all and thank you for letting us worship with you today. Awesome, awesome. Amen. I just want you to know that you can help support that ministry if you choose to. Just see Rick after the service and he can tell you how. Just a great place. Fertile soil to sow seeds in. See people's lives change forever. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Glad to see you here today. Thank Pastor Johanna for ministering the word last Sunday. Didn't she do an awesome job sharing? Amen. Uh, today, I, I, we obviously, we're going to be doing communion. I, I was telling Johanna a couple of days ago, you know, really we hadn't had opportunity because of the COVID to do communion all this year. I, I guess we could have, but just trying to you know, adhere to what people are asking us to do. But so we've come up with a way today to do it safely. And uh, so we're not going to do it in the normal fashion, but we we have the individual uh, 
cups that you'll just come up and receive today. We'll do that here in just a, a little bit. And uh, it has the, the bread and the, uh, the, the grape juice in self-contained there. So you can, uh, we won't be serving it to you uh, like we normally would do. But, um, you know, we're, we're living in, uh, uh, obviously, you know, I, I've heard so many people say, man, I can't wait to 2021. Well, you understand there's nothing magical because the calendar is going to change, right? We're, we're still going to be in the same world and in the same America. But I do believe things are changing uh, in, in many ways. You, you can't read the Bible without, number one, being filled with hope. If there's anything about God and the Word of God, it's, it's a book of hope. And it gives us hope. He, Jesus is called our blessed hope. He didn't come to give us hope. He came to be our hope. And, uh, and so any area in our lives that we don't have hope is an area that's being influenced by a lie. Did you hear that? So anytime you feel hopeless, and particularly which will lead to helplessness, that's an area that you're believing a lie. Because with God, I mean, a Christian should be the most hope-filled person on this planet. And regardless of what happens in Washington or any other place, it never changes who God is. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and so, you know, the Bible talks about in the last days that God will show forth signs and wonders, signs in the heaven, signs in the earth. And sometimes, you know, people I know, they get nutty and, and about this stuff and they apply meaning to it. You know, and, and I'm not going to do that. But, but I, you know, we can get so dulled that we miss when God's actually doing things. I mean, God's showing forth signs. Now, a lot of times when people see a sign, whether it's a celestial sign or something in the earth or whatever, just something personal to you, a lot of times we just miss it or we discount it, we discard it. And sometimes people are begging to hear God, for God to speak to them, and they just don't see it, and it's right before them. You understand that God, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus stood right before his own people and he said he came to his own and they didn't receive him. They were looking at God and didn't recognize him. And I was reading this morning, it said all the many miracles, he did so many miracles before them, yet they did not believe in him. Sometimes people say, if I just saw a miracle, I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. You, you might believe in that moment, but it wouldn't hold you through the difficult times. Uh, you know, one thing that we did last Sunday, my wife and, and, and uh, Jeannie, we were riding a golf cart in my neighborhood where I live, and, and on Sunday afternoon, just enjoying a pretty day. And I, I saw something in all of my life I've never seen. I saw a, a white, totally white, albino squirrel. Now, that'll get your attention. I've never seen one. And, I mean, we just stopped the golf cart and was just amazed. And, I mean, from his nose to his tail tip, he was solid snowball white and that's just something you don't see and we just stood there and we're like god look there's a white squirrel <laughs> you know and we were trying to fumble around i was trying to get my phone out but first i was just so captivated by seeing a white squirrel i'd never seen that i've been in the woods all my life never seen a white squirrel so when i got back to the house i, I googled on my phone i said you know how rare is that they said one in one hundred thousand you can see a hundred thousand squirrels before you see a white one it's pretty rare. Now, was that a message to God, you know, from God to me? I don't know. 
But, I, you know, the way I am, I'm inquisitive. I like to dig around for stuff. And, uh, you know, the Bible says it's the, uh, the glory of God to conceal a matter. But it's the honor of kings to search it out. You know, gold's not found laying on the ground. You have to dig for it because it's precious. And, and it kind of disqualifies the lazy from getting it. You, are you hearing me today? And God's got precious things that he wants to say to us, to reveal to us. And so I don't know if that was some big message from God, but it was pretty cool. I wish I could have whooped my camera out before he scurried back up the tree. But uh, at least I know he's there. One in 100,000. And I saw something that I've never seen all my life. When I looked up what it's supposed to mean, it means change. It means blessing and prosperity to embrace it. The new thing is coming. I don't know. I'll say yes and amen to that. None of that was bad. You know, tomorrow, they say, scientists, we're going to have the Bethlehem star in the eastern sky. And what it is is Saturn and Jupiter coming closer together than they have been in over 800 years. About 800 years. Now, they've been close to before, about 400 years ago but they weren't as close as what they're coming down. Last time they became this close where they appear in the night sky as one bright glowing object was 800 years ago. And all that's off of not Christian pages, just, you know, NASA's put all that out and stuff. I mean, astronomical things. God's still the God that made the heavens. And to me, at least it's worthy of mention. What is God saying? I don't know. But the timing is significant of when it's coming. It's coming right on the exact day, not only right here, you know, at our the time that we celebrate Christmas, but the winter solstice, changing of the times. Maybe God is saying to us that things are changing, and they're changing. And if God's changing things, guess what He's doing? He's changing them for the good. And one thing you can't read about the Bible: the first, you know, people call it the first miracle. The Bible actually calls it the first sign. The first sign that Jesus ever did was He turned water into wine at the wedding of Cana. In other words, and the thing that's so significant about that is it said that he saved the best wine for last. God's always have saved the best for the last. God's always going to come through, and he's always going to be there. And I just want your heart to be filled not with fear, trepidation about 2021 or what's going to happen or who's going to do this, who's going to do that. God's, the, God's still your God. He's still my God, and he doesn't change. And he's still the king of kings. But see, who's the kings he's king of? Not kings of a nation. The Bible calls you kings and priests before God. So when it says that you're king, he's king of kings, he's talking about you. You're a king. A king rules. A king speaks decrees and declares things and prophesies things and says things. And when you see something that's opposite of what God would want, then what we're to do is we're to speak it like God would speak it. Anybody can report the news. We got more than that than we want. But we need people to speak the opposite of that, to speak what God wants. You know, in John 12, it was talking about that Jesus made a prayer. And in this prayer, Jesus just simply said these final words. He said, Father, glorify thy name. And it said when Jesus said that, it said heaven thundered. There was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And it said many standing around said it just thundered. 
Some said it thundered. But others said, no, we heard God. That was God. There will always be people who try to give a natural scientific explanation for supernatural events or to discount or marginalize or even disqualify signs and wonders that God is trying to speak to us individually and to us as a nation. God surely knows that that squirrel was there. It would get my attention. Just as surely as he knew that there was a bush that would set on fire and burn and not be consumed and would get Moses' attention. And Moses just turned aside, it said, to see this unusual sight. And out of that bush, God began to speak and talk to him and said, Listen, I know you're 80 years old and you think your ministry's done. You screwed up big time in Egypt and killed an Egyptian. And you fled out here to the wilderness for your life. But I'm not done with you yet. Can I say to you, that's what God says to all of us. I'm not done with you yet. No matter your age, no matter what you've done, no matter where you run to and run from, God said, I'm not done with you. And God will do whatever he's got to do because he loves you that much. He paid too much for you to ignore you. He get your attention, speak to you. You know, to me, it's always important at this time, particularly when we, at least as a culture, nation, set aside a time to celebrate the birth or coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. My little grandson asked me yesterday, was Jesus born on the 25th? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, when was he born, Papa? And I said, on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles is where all the evidence points. That would be sometime September October. He said, well, why don't we celebrate it now? I said, because we just don't know no better, son. <laughs> but I told him, I said, it's not so much, you know, to try to nail down the date that he was born. I said, the fact is he was born. That's the important part. And he was born, and he lived, and he, was di and he died, and he was buried, and he resurrected to pay the penalty for all sin. Not just yours and mine, but the sin of the world. That's what he came to do. And he came to take it away. You know, uh, we're going to receive communion, and some of you, like me, have sat in churches before, and you've received communion, and you've heard, you know, it sounds like a death sentence. Like, if you get this wrong, God would say, you know, I'll kill you. You can get sick or die if you do this wrong. It's just lunacy. Saying, am I good enough to take communion is like saying, am I good enough to hear the gospel? The Bible says that Jesus said on this night that he did this, he said, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of what? Of him, of me. It's not in remembrance of you, but it's in remembrance of him. So we, we receive communion, and when we do communion, the Bible says we do show forth his death. We're being reminded again that this Jesus not only was born, came as a babe, but he became a man, and at 33 years of age, he died on a cross. And he took my place and your place on that cross. Amen. And he became the propitiation, which means the mercy seat. He became the grace. He became the appeasing sacrifice that satisfied all. And when you receive communion today, that's what we're remembering. Sometimes you've heard of where Paul said, you know, and he did say, he said, let a man examine himself. But he's not saying, and then the preachers would add, examine yourself before you take communion for sin. It's not what the Bible says. You examine yourself to find Jesus on the inside of you. In other words, that's, that, that's what 
makes the difference. If Jesus is on the inside of you, then you cannot partake of the communion service unworthily because you're doing it in his name in remembrance of him. If you examine yourself on the inside and you don't find Jesus there, guess what? you got an opportunity right now to receive him as your Lord and Savior. Put your faith in him and believe in him. You know, I was thinking today, I just want to probably in the new year just preach a series on stuff Jesus never said, stuff God never said. Because we've got it so messed up in so many places. But God never said, if you take communion wrong, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make you sick. Never said that. They didn't even do that. They didn't even examine themselves under the inferior old covenant. How many knows we're under a new covenant that's a better covenant? Under the old covenant, you remember how they did? They brought a lamb. They brought a lamb. And the man that brought the lamb for a sacrifice for his sin, the priest never looked at the man. He never examined the man. There's no examining of you. We already know what the answer to that is. Insufficient. Not worthy. Not perfect. Not right. We already know the answer to that. They examined the lamb. And if they found the lamb without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, that lamb was received in sacrifice. So if you show up today without a lamb, guess what? you got to get one because we're not examining you. God's looking at his son. He's looking at the lamb. And without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, Jesus was examined seven times. He was found to have no sin, to be the perfect sacrifice which brought you into being what the Bible called perfected forever. It says we have been perfected forever. I've always kind of upset folks, you know, because I said, you know, that people, the church is so quick to always brag about, well, we're not perfect. We know that. We knew that before you told us that. Okay? We've met you. And you've met me. We're not, none of us are perfect. But this is what really bothers religious people. Only people going to heaven are perfect people. That's the only people going to heaven. And if you're not perfect, you're not going. Now, see, right there, I can tell with some of you, I can even just look on your face and discern that you, you're like, oh, that's wrong, that's strange, that's weird. That's, no, that's the Bible. That's the Bible. See, God don't grade on a curve. 70 ain't passing. It ain't just do your best and I'll do the rest. With God, it's 100% perfection. It's not a little bit of righteousness. It's 100% righteousness. Righteousness is like pregnant. You either is or you ain't. You're not a little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. You're either righteous or you're not. Where does your righteousness come from? From Jesus as a gift. For him who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Where are you righteous at? In Christ. What part of you is righteous? Your behavior, how you dress, look? No, that's not righteous always, but in our spirit where we were born again. Are you listening to me? And, that, and Hebrews says that you, through that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice, you have been perfected forever. It says God is the God who has perfected the spirit of the saints. We're, we've been made perfect in God. Try that on sometimes. Walk up to somebody and say, I just want you to know I please the Lord. You know what most Christians are trying to do? With all their tippy toes, they're trying to please God. You can't please God on anything you can produce. 
The only thing that pleases God is faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But do you have faith? I'm not talking about faith in your faith. I'm talking about faith in his son. If you have faith in Jesus, that pleases God. I don't know how many, all these many years that I've been pastoring, people's coming to my office and say, Brother, I just want to please the Lord. I just want to please the Lord. And I say, well, let me ask you a question. I didn't used to do this in the early ministry. I was, I was right in the same boat with them, crying, trying to please God. thought if I read my Bible, prayed hard, done this, done that, that the Lord was more pleased with me today than he would have been yesterday. All that's religious lies. I said, let me ask you this. Is God pleased with Jesus? I said, is God pleased with Jesus? Then, then where did God put you? He said, if any man be in, not in church, not in religion, but if any man be in Christ, he is in that moment a new creation. So I said, if God is pleased with Jesus, then he puts you in Jesus so he could treat you like Jesus. Then God's pleased. Stop struggling and stop tr straining and, and striving and, and live out of the revelation of the love of God that's in Christ Jesus in you. And when you mess up, and you will, I have confidence in us. <laughs> I'm not saying have it on the calendar for next week, you understand. But I'm saying... When you do, instead of spending all your time confessing your wrong, won't you do what the Bible says and confess your righteousness? And in the midst of all your mess, would it pile up all around you? If you're born again, lift your head and say, I am the righteous of God still in Christ Jesus. Because the Bible says a righteous man, he will fall. Sometimes he'll fall seven times, but he'll get back up again. Y'all just let me know when I start preaching. I said a righteous man will fall. Though he falls seven times, he'll get back up. The only people that always just lay there and never get back up and don't try no more are people that don't know and have not been taught that their righteousness is a gift given to them by God. They thought their righteousness was achieved. No, your righteousness is not achieved. It is received. The Bible in Romans calls it the gift if it's a gift, you didn't earn it. And if it's a gift, you cannot unearn it. Whew. Good news. You are the righteous of God. Why? Because you've been forgiven. And on that Christmas night, when those angels were accosted in the heavens with all those shepherds there, these angels said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's on millions of Christmas cards being all over. But I want to remind you again, it had nothing to do with men stop fighting one another. That's not what it meant. There has never been peace on earth between men of any lasting time. It's not a Christmas thing. It's not lay down your weapons for Christmas. When God said peace on earth and goodwill to men, this is my message God was saying that I declare peace between me, God, and men. And that sin debt that was owed and that judgment that was awaiting, God said, I am removing it. Because 2 Corinthians says that God was in Christ reconciling, balancing the books, reconciling the sin of the world. Is that what it says? 
that God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the sin of the world unto himself, not counting man's sins ever again against him. You know what God was saying? Peace. No more war. You're forgiven. Most of the church thinks forgiveness is something God can do. Forgiveness is something that God has done. Now, you don't enjoy the benefit of it until you receive it. And you receive it by putting your faith in the ones whose blood that was shed that bought that forgiveness. But when you receive it, you walk as a person that knows this, no matter what, I'm forgiven. I am eternally and totally forgiven by God. All God wants people to do this Christmas is what he's always wanted them to do. Know that he's not angry with you. He's, not, he's forgiven the world of sin. He's taken away the sin of the world. All he wants you to do is put your faith in Jesus. One of those things that stuff that Jesus never said, stuff that the churches say that he said but he never said, is that if you want to get saved, confess your sins. That's not in the Bible. I didn't think I'd even get a squeak of her mouth to say amen to it, but it's true anyway. Why didn't the, the Romans 10 that says this is how you get saved tell us and even use the word sin? You know, Romans 10, everybody agrees that's the chapter that tells you how to be saved. That if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. How many knows that's in there? In that chapter, you know what's not in there? The word sin. Isn't that interesting? That when God's telling us how to be born again, he doesn't even mention sin. Why? Because it's not an issue no more. I'm not saying it's not an issue, go do it. I'm saying it's not an issue because Jesus paid for it. So you don't have to. You can live in it. You can hurt yourself and hurt others by doing it. God don't want you to do it. But your debt has been paid. Your sin account has a zero balance as far as heaven's concerned. When that Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 looked at that great apostle Paul and said clearly in the Bible, what must I do to be saved? Apparently Paul didn't know how to get people saved because he never mentioned the word sin to that heathen idolatrous jailer who was so filled with hopelessness that he was supposed to take a sword and kill himself, commit suicide. And he looked at Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That was the end of that. See how simple God makes it? Listen to the average church, how complicated they make it. We're not making little of sin, we're making much of Jesus. Amen? I've told you over and over, trying to overcome sin by focusing on sin is like trying to overcome eating sweets while staring at chocolate cake. That's how much sense it makes. It's ridiculous. The Bible said, let us lay aside every sin and the weight that so does easily beset us, hinder us, stumble us, cause us to fall. And then it says, comma, next verse tells you how, looking unto Jesus, because he's the author and the finisher, not of your pain, but of your faith. And that faith he gifted you, for he's given to every man the measure of faith to believe on Jesus. If you don't know what I did, it's called the presentation of the gospel. It's called why that we can do communion today and remember that he paid the sacrifice that washed away my sin. It took it away. When John went to baptize him that day, remember what he said? He pointed at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that does what? 
forgives your sins when you confess them? No. He said, behold the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the what, though? The sin of the world. And by the way, sin there is not a verb, it's a noun. It's not you drinking, cussing, smoking, adulterating. It's that thing, that entity. Jesus became sin who knew no sin, that we would become the righteous of God. I told you I've always loved this example. It'll happen again tomorrow morning. Tonight I'll roll out my garbage can to the curb. And sometime tomorrow morning, two wonderful men will pull up in a truck and they'll take away all my rubbish, all my trash. They'll dump it into their truck and they'll drive off. And I have never had them bring it back. They're amazing. The, the, no matter how nasty, no matter how smelly, how rotten it is, they never complain. They never go, this stinks too bad. I'm not hauling this off. It's got maggots in it. I'm not hauling it. No, they just haul it off. And they take it away. And I have never seen any of it return to my house. You get that, right? Jesus came 2,000 years ago and he took away the sin of the world. Did that include yours? I said, did that include yours? Why are you always talking about something been taken away? Be like me sitting at the house talking about, man, you know that trash I put out last month? I wonder what they're doing with that. Maybe I need to go out there to the dump and confess that to them or I mean, come on, man. Jesus took away the sin of the world so that you could have peace on earth with God. And he said, I've got nothing but goodwill toward men. God's got goodwill. You know why? Because he's a good God. Is that about all the good news you can stand for one Christmas? It's so great to be loved by God. Can folks helping me get in position? We're at least going to open the lids for you. You'll just come up, and if you'll just receive your little individual packet, it's sealed. So totally safe that way. You just come and reach in and take your packet. And then if you'll return to your seat, then once you get there, you'll just peel off the, the top of it, and you'll have all the elements of uh, communion right there. And then we'll all receive it together as a church family. Is that all right? Amen. Can I just pray before we stand to receive it and we'll just come in, in order. We'll start with this side where Rick's at and the men and if you'll come through and then we'll go to the middle of course and work our way across the sanctuary. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much that you'd give Jesus to die for us. As we approach this table, we have communion with you. It's not just communion elements, but it's remembering and reminding us of your tremendous, unexplainable sacrifice that you gave your body, your blood, to take away the sin of the world, which included absolutely mine. Thank you for that. We do this today in remembrance of you. And Father, 
as we remember you, we, we remember that you're not only with us, but you're in us. And so we examine ourselves. Paul said to examine yourself, know you not that Christ is in you? So we examine ourselves. We're not looking for sin. We're not looking for fault. We're looking for you. Because you're the answer for the sin. You're the answer for everything. So I examine myself to see if Christ is in me. And if Christ is in me, then that's the hope of glory. If Christ is in me, that's the righteousness of God. If Christ is in me, that is the security of eternal salvation. And I give you praise for that. I give you praise for Jesus on the inside and me on the inside of Jesus. It's Christ in you, but it's me in Christ. Father, I love you and I praise you. Thank you for that. And I pray today as we receive this, we do so in this season. We pray for our nation. We pray for those that, Lord God, that don't know you, that they may come to know you. That their eyes may be open and their heart may be receptive to receive you as Lord and Savior. That you have declared goodwill to all men. And you said the war is over. Peace on earth. No more wrath. For Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross. And we receive this communion in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We all come on this side and just pass by and just receive. And then because y'all can approach these two if you need both of them here. And uh, I think we'll do it this way, the speed of that. Miss Carolyn, y'all come from this side and catch these two on this side. And then y'all can turn and go back.
I've never seen the congregation so concentrated on how to open these little packets. <laughs> I know it's a little bit awkward, a little bit different. But at least we're getting to receive the Lord's communion today together as a church family. And if, if something happened that it messed up or something, you need another one, you just let us know and we'll, we'll get it to you. Everybody good? Everybody was successful? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, the Bible says on that night that the Lord took the bread and he held it up before his disciples and he said, this is my body. This is my body that was broken for you. Let's receive that in Jesus' name. And on the same night, he took the cup. He held the cup up and said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant. This is the new testament. It represented everything that you and I now by grace, freely partake of. We receive that grace, that blood, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You can pass those cups to the inside aisles, this way over here. You guys, if you'll pass them that way, they'll come down that outside aisle and do the same on this side. We'll pick them up. Then if you'll stand once you've done that or as you're doing that, do we have another song, or at least we can end with a song? Oh. What can we, what, what we going to end with? We'll sing this song. We can sing this song, yeah. Okay. All right, this uh, last song, Demisha, you guys did an awesome job, too. We just so love the Christmas songs. and Amen, they did an awesome job today. <clears throat> we, again, just want to say Merry Christmas to all of you. Just pray. God's blessing continued on your life. We know he will. And uh, we love you. If you don't have a church home, man, we'd love for Grace Point to be your home. And uh, just say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Of course, we'll be here next Sunday. And we look forward to seeing you then as well. Amen. Demetrius, sing us out. God bless you.